Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. This is part six of our study of the book of James, and today we're going to venture into James chapter two, and we're going to go halfway through the chapter today. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to James chapter two, beginning in verse one, and we will read to verse 13. But before we do that, let's go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Lord God in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the ability to come together as a body of believers and seek your face to know you better, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us this far. We understand that our whole life is one act of grace that we were never in control of, but rather, Lord, you are in control of everything. And Lord, as you are sovereign over our minds and our hearts and this creation that you put us in, please show us today how we are to act without partiality, to not pick favorites, Lord, to not favor people for one reason or another, but rather, Lord, that we would treat all men equal, and that we would not merely look at appearances or biases or prejudices when we come together as a group of believers or when we witness to the world outside. Please show us the truth that's hidden in your word today. And please allow your Holy Spirit to teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let's read the text for today. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. My brethren, do not hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes, and say, you sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves, and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who loved him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If, however, you were fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty, for judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. So here we come to a very human problem in the scriptures, right? It is so easy for us to draw parallels, to create labels 
for people for one reason or another. And I think it would be safe to say that in this current social climate, that is a very controversial topic right now, wouldn't you say? People are constantly classifying themselves by one means or another to either justify a certain behavior or for a certain end they're trying to accomplish. And being an American myself and knowing our national history, it really wasn't that long ago that we had social injustice as a normal part of our culture here. If you go back to the mid-20th century, people were separated by race, or they were labeled a certain way because of their national origin. And so it's really sad to see that people are purposely trying to segregate each other for one reason or another. And instead, we are not to be this way as Christians. We are not to separate each other by gender. And there are only two genders, despite what the world around us says. We should not be separating ourselves by color. We should not be separating ourselves by social status. Because those are patterns of the world. But yet we do not follow the patterns of the world. We follow the patterns of God. And he says that we should not have personal favoritism. Now, in context, it's referring to believers, but this does apply to all people. We should not be people of any sort of ism, racism, sexism, ableism, whatever your ism is, we should not have any. We should be embracing all of mankind, recognizing the truth, which is that they were all created in the image of God, and God finds them all to be precious. That's the truth that we should embrace, not what the world says. So despite these natural biases that we may have for other people, being in church almost my whole life, I can completely recognize the kind of biases that we are seeing here in James chapter 2. He gives us an illustration here of how people accept certain kinds of individuals into their church service. For example, like it says in verse 2, a man comes into the assembly, meaning like your church, your fellowship, with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes. Poor people did not have gold rings back then. It's not like how it is today where you can get a credit card or that simply didn't exist back then. So for somebody to have a gold ring, you had to be someone with some money. So naturally, as a member of a church, you will be drawn to this kind of person. But why? Simply because of their money? Yes, absolutely. And I have unfortunately seen it in some of the churches that I've been in, where they favor these people because they give generous, healthy-sized offerings. Therefore, it fills the church coffers and provides more money for their budgets and all of that. And while there is no doubt that money is important to running a church because you got to pay your staff, you got to pay the bills to run the building, you got to have utilities, all that, we're not in the business of accepting people for their financial status. The whole purpose of the church is to bring people together as a body of believers to edify and to strengthen and to train each other for righteousness. And through that, then we go out into the world and we go and win souls for Christ. 
So we do not look upon a rich man and like this person better than, say, someone who walks into your church service in torn-up shirt and jeans, smells pretty bad, and we treat him differently, like he is lesser human, or that he's some sort of second-class citizen. For one, you have no idea what's going on with that person at a glance. You have no idea what they're going through. You don't know where they've been. You don't know what circumstances led them to walk in your door. And so we do not treat them any less than we would a rich person. A human being is a human being, regardless of how much money God has chosen to give them. So this is why he's saying here we should not have an attitude of personal favoritism. Because really what that's going to do, it's going to show the quality of your heart. It's going to show what you really think about people. And really it's going to show what kind of worth you place on people. What kind of value you give people. Who are you to give a valuation of someone? In the grand scheme of things, you are no one. And in fact, someone had to have given you value, right? And the only person who is able to give value is God himself. So no, we do not treat people differently because of position or power or wealth or celebrity status that might come in your doors. So when you conduct yourself in this way, this is what you're really doing. Verse 4, you have made distinctions among yourselves, plural. You're probably not the only one who feels that way about that person. And unfortunately, I see it happen a lot in leadership in church because, again, of what benefit they could provide with the money they have. But basically what James is saying here is you have, like it says in the second half of verse 4, you have become judges with evil motives. To show favoritism to the rich is wrong in so many ways. And James is going to illustrate some of those very reasons. For one, it shows your value system to be false, right? It shows that how you look at people really shows the quality of your heart. Do you see the person or do you see the objects behind the person? Do you see people for who they are or for what they can do for you? Do you look upon them with love or do you look at them as a means to an end? And that really is such a vain, shallow way of looking at things. And when we consider people we may have called friends at one point in our lives, that looked upon us the same way, where we felt used and abused, why would we want to bring that into the church environment? That's obviously not the right thing to do, to have this kind of shallow mindset in how we discriminate between people simply because of social status or power or fame. It fails to honor the person properly to act this way, especially the poor person. And really the rich man, too, because we don't really care too much about the rich person except for what money they have. So instead, the Bible teaches us that we should value someone because of merit, that someone has shown that they are worthy of that. But as a default, we should love the individual as a neighbor. So then when we look at verse 5, James calls our attention back. Listen. 
my beloved brethren. Did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith? That's interesting. What do you think he means here by the poor of this world? Is he referring to financial poorness, or is he talking about something else? Well, if you look at the history of the Bible, there are people who have been called into God's service that came from all kinds of backgrounds. Some people were very poor. Some people were rich. I can think of a few people that come to mind that were rich. Think of Moses. Even though Moses had humble beginnings when it comes to being born in a Hebrew house, all the firstborn children like him were to be killed, but his mother made a little reed basket for him to float down the river in. But he ultimately became prince of Egypt. He was adopted by a princess of the Pharaoh. And so he lived as royalty in the house of Pharaoh. And yet God chose him to lead his people out of the land, despite being rich. But you see the quality of Moses, right? Moses didn't care about money. He didn't care about position. All he cared about was protecting his people and obeying God. So again, it is the quality of the person, not the social constructs, that determine their usefulness. There are many examples throughout all the Old and New Testament of people who were either rich and still loved their Lord and didn't care about the money, or you have people like the disciples of Jesus. Money doesn't mean anything unless you choose to lift it to a level it shouldn't be. So when it talks about the poor of this world, it's talking about the poor in spirit. It's talking about those that are spiritually weak the ones that are spiritually malleable. Because if we have an air of pride or arrogance or stubbornness within us, so often it is hard for God to go in there and change you. There is nothing too hard for God. If he wanted to override you at any time, he certainly could. But he often chooses for people to willingly follow him. And if we are not willing to follow him, then he doesn't always activate it within us. So when it talks about the poor of this world, it's those that God has identified as someone who would be sensitive to his word, someone that would not actively resist the development and the learning of how to be a godly person. And we are very much the same way. We were poor in this world. And we were called to be rich in the faith. We received that richness, the inheritance of eternal life through Christ Jesus. And we are now called heirs of the kingdom, like it says in verse 5. We are heirs of the kingdom, which he's promised to those who love him. Only people who have been changed by the Holy Spirit truly love God. People who say that they love God, but have not been transformed by the Holy Spirit, are lying, or they are deceived. It could be an act of ignorance, or it could be a downright lie. Only those who are changed are able to pursue God in the way that he desires to be pursued. The unsaved world doesn't seek after God. It says that throughout all the Old Testament. 
that the fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They are altogether useless. And so, praise God, we were delivered from that, because we were that once. And so this parallel continues as we go through James, that parallel between the rich man and the poor man. Now, it doesn't say that the rich man is not saved, but then he talks about the quality of rich people in general, not saying that this particular person is bad, but the rich in general are this way. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? That is true in today's society as well, isn't it? The rich of this world are always oppressing people. Money is considered power in this world. And consider the social climate right now. Look at all the people who are pulling the strings behind the scenes. It's all the rich people. It always has been. And they continue to do all the things that are ungodly and supporting ungodly agendas. So this is very true for us today as well. And then we have verse 7. Do they not blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called? If they love their money and their power and their fame and all of that, they are profaning the name of Christ. And look at the agendas that the rich people are conducting right now. They are all evil and satanic in a lot of ways. So this is completely true, what James is saying. Of course it is. It's the Bible, right? But we have to be reminded sometimes that this is reality, and we have to embrace what the Bible says as absolute reality. What James has just shown us is what it looks like to be a judge with evil motives. But what does it look like to be doing it correctly? And that's where, beginning in verse 8, we see that. If, however, you are fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture. So this is a royal law. This is chief among laws, as Jesus said. There are two laws. There's a greatest commandment, and then there's one just like it. And this is the second one here. You will love your neighbor as yourself. So if you are fulfilling this command to love your neighbor as yourself, great, you're doing your job. But... If you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So by showing favoritism, by showing any sort of bias, by showing any kind of discrimination to another human being, regardless of whatever reason you think you're justified in, that is sin. We are propping ourselves up as being judges. And there is only one judge, as the Bible says. God himself is the only judge, and we have no right to be judging other people. Some of what they do is clearly evident, and in the right context, there is a proper way to handle those things. But when it comes to the valuation of individuals, we cannot judge, especially among believers. Brothers and sisters in Christ cannot be judging each other. Whether you like it or not, you're going to be in a church of diverse people. Maybe all the same skin color, but they all have different personalities, social backgrounds, way they like to do things, likes and dislikes, and you may clash with some of them. You may disagree with their methods. But at the end of the day, we are commanded to work together and love each other in the faith. 
So that should be as far as it goes. We are not to be judges because we are hypocrites if we are. We are judging ourselves, but by the same standards we're holding other people, we are failing in them too. And to this point, this has been talked about many times that you shall not judge. Jesus talked about it extensively, not to judge people, because by the same way you judge others, you are judging yourself. But then he talks about the law again. And let's go back to thinking like a Pharisee for a second. The Pharisees thought that they were living righteously. They were following all the laws that were written in the first five books of the Bible, also called the Pentateuch or the Torah. They thought they were doing that right. But yet this is the reality of how God looks at us. Verse 10, For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he has become guilty of all. This is why we should not be judges to other people. This is why we should not show partiality to other people, because we are all in the same boat. We are all failures when it comes to keeping the law perfectly. Only one has ever done so, and that was Jesus Christ. But you and I fail the law many times, multiple times a day. So who are we to judge other people? We are no one. We are all equally condemned by the law. Then in verse 11, it references something that God said in the Ten Commandments. It says, For he, being God, who said, Do not commit adultery, also said, Do not commit murder. So you might commit adultery, but not commit murder. Does that make you okay? No, you're still a sinner. I don't commit adultery, but I have committed murder. That's still failure to keep the law. And that's what the second half of the verse leads to. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Either way, you're a transgressor of the law, however way you want to look at it. Whether you broke a small law, a big law, the reality is we are all transgressors of the law. As Paul puts it, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So why are we putting labels on people? Why are we treating people differently for whatever reason we've propped up? It's all stupid, and it's all pointless. Instead, we should just be obedient to what is in the Word of God, which says to love your neighbor as yourself, and to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And then in verse 12, he gives us a command. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. This is not the same law as the rest of the world. When it usually references the law in Scripture, it's talking about the law of Moses, the Mosaic law. By those standards, the world is condemned. But when we are regenerated and have been brought into the kingdom of heaven as heirs, we are being held accountable by the law of liberty. That law of liberty, again, just like we talked about last time, was something that Jesus Christ brought to us. The law of liberty is the perfect law. It is the word of God. We have been freed from the old law. 
We're no longer bound by it. And so we don't live like that anymore. We are to bear fruit. We are to have works. The works don't save you, but they are proof of what you believe. And that's what we're going to talk about next time when we go into the faith and works conversation. And here's a very important verse here, verse 13. For judgment will be merciless to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You need to have compassion for people. You need to give people a strong dose of grace. You need to be patient with people. You need to be merciful. Most of the time, we have no idea what people are going through. We don't know how God is working in their lives and in their hearts. And most of the time, we're so screwed up ourselves that we forget that we have a giant log in our eye when we're trying to take the speck out of our brother's eye. But on the point where James is saying that judgment will be merciless to one who does not show mercy, Jesus said something very similar to that, and it's very sobering words. So let me read you what it says over here in the book of Matthew. Right after Jesus taught his disciples how to pray through the Lord's Prayer, he then says this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 14. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Yikes. You're telling me that if I don't forgive people, I don't give them grace, God's not going to show me any grace? He's not going to forgive me? Yeah, that's exactly what it's talking about. If you are someone who is a person of unforgiveness and hatred and bitterness, those are all defining marks that you probably are not saved. There's something very serious about this. And so we need to take this scripture very seriously when it says that we need to be people of mercy. We need to be people who do not judge and show partiality. We are to conduct ourselves in a godly fashion. And think about Jesus. He never treated people like that. Jesus lived a perfect life to be an example for you to follow. And at no point did he ever choose to treat people differently because of their social status, because of their backgrounds, how righteous they thought they were. He loved them all the same. But at the same time, if people were blatantly sinning and were ignorant to their own situation, Jesus called them out on it. That's why he was always at odds with the Pharisees, because the Pharisees thought they weren't doing anything wrong. But in fact, they were, and they just were blind to it, or they refused to see it. And so that's why it's important for us to learn from the mistakes of the Pharisees, so that we want to be as religious as they were, yes. We do not want to consider religion just following a set of rules and doing certain things for appearance sake. There's much more to it than that. So as we come to a close this time, I want to ask you a question. Assuming that you belong to a church, think about how you interact with the people in your church. Do you treat people differently 
because of their backgrounds or because of color or because of ethnicity or any other reason. If you are, then you need to repent. Do you look down upon poor people or do you exalt rich people to a level that they do not belong in? If you do, it's time to repent. Do you treat people with mercy and compassion? If we don't, it says clearly in Scripture that the Father won't forgive us even if we are not people of forgiveness. That should scare some of us. Is that you today? Wherever you are in your walk with Christ, we are not at the point where we have learned everything. I'm sure that we all have one or two areas at least in our lives that we need to look at with honesty and see what we need to change. Perhaps we haven't taken a good look in the mirror lately. And I ask you to do that as we move forward in the book of James, because that's the reason why we have the Scripture. The Scripture is meant to teach us, yes, but it's also meant to be a mirror to our souls. Only God knows how humanity really is, because he created us. And so his word is reliable in showing us where our problems are. So use the scripture to examine yourselves honestly and repent if there is anything that we're falling short in. And pray, spend time with the Father this week and petition for wisdom and strength so that we can mature and so that we can be bold in the distribution of the gospel. And I think that is a good stopping point for us for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.